church family, uh, I want to begin with some uh, words that I don't think I've ever spoken in uh, 12, 13 years of ministry here. And that is, I, wanna, I just want to tell you right from the beginning that I believe the message that I'm going to bring from the Lord to us this morning has the capacity to change my life and your life and this church's life in a way that um, no other message that I've brought from the Lord has. I say that with all seriousness, and so I pray that the Lord would give us all ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church this morning. It is good news. It is good news. Um, we are we're in a sermon series on growing to maturity or fullness in Christ. We've heard God's design, His intention for every one of us is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8. That we grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. That's from Ephesians. That's our life's calling. As we've come to faith in Jesus, that we grow up to maturity in him. That's what God's doing in your life right now. Through your circumstances, through the various things that you experience, He's at work growing you up into Him, which is joy and peace and love. All that is in Christ is our inheritance. It's what He's doing. And we heard that first week that there are, it's not guaranteed that it happens. It's His will. But you all know from looking at the world and looking at the church that there's people that arrive at the end of their days that look a whole lot more like Jesus than others. Some just kind of straggle their way into the kingdom, but don't look a whole lot like Jesus. They might have faith, but life sure is a struggle the entire way. Because they're not aware of how the Lord's working and how they work with Him. And so we heard the Lord gives tools He's put things at our disposal so that we can work with Him and it can be a joyful process of of walking with the Lord and becoming like Him. And last week we heard that there's one tool that stands above the others and without which the others don't work. And that is faith that comes from a mind, proceeds from a mind renewed by the Word of God. I think... I agree with God's thoughts. I think what He thinks. His will, His words, shape my life. They shape everything or are in the process of shaping everything about the way that I live. This morning's message comes to us from John chapter 15, and I couldn't believe it when you got up and said, this is the text that the Lord used to shape me. That's my preaching text for this morning. John 15, hear these words. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. One person said this, God's reward for growth is pruning. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 15. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Brittany, can you flip that? Okay, this is called a skid steer. I think here in the United States we called it a bobcat because that's the, a, a brand of them. But when I was in college, I worked for a few summers landscaping. And I worked with a company that laid sod, so they graded and then they laid sod. And I was a sod layer, but when I was just getting started, I had to learn um, all the different parts of the job. And one of my first days on the job, my crew foreman, Vic, came to me and he said, okay, I want you to go around the corner and he gave me directions at this place in this neighborhood, take this truck, and I want you to go get a set of forks. Now, you see a shovel on the front of that thing? Well, there's a fork attachment that's got one, two, three, four prongs, and we would use it to pick up skids of sod that were like, yay, yay, big. And um, he said, there's a set of forks around the corner. Go take the truck, put them in the back of the truck, and bring them here because we're going to such and such site. So I drove the truck over, got out, got to these forks, went to pull them, and I went, whoop! Like, they were not moving. And I tried a few different angles, I tried a few different ways, and I thought, I, he, he, something's wrong. Like, he must, I've got the directions wrong, or he gave the instructions wrong, but like, these aren't gonna get, I'm not getting these up into the truck. I tried again, and I was like, I, maybe he was talking about something else. So, I drove the truck back over to Vic, and I said, hey Vic, I, you know, I went to where you told me, but I only found this set of forks, and I, like, there was no way it was going in the back of the truck, and he goes, Oh, yeah, it is. I said, what are you talking about? I, I, I tried. Like, I'm about the same size as this guy. I said, I, I can't get it in. He goes, come with me. Drives me back over there. He, he gets out of the truck, takes them by one end, and flips them up on their back, backs the truck up to them, opens the tailgate, gets down underneath the other side, and goes... <laughs> into the back of the truck. And then he goes, pulls him out, and he goes, you do it. Okay. Got it in. 
it was his design, it was his intention that I pick those things up and put them in. And he was showing me, no, I intended for you to get those, and you are in fact designed to be able to get those into the truck. You just don't know it. Sometimes, I think God's design and intentions for the relational journey that we call prayer go unfulfilled because we don't fully understand what He intends to do with and through us in this relational journey called prayer. We read a scripture like John 15, which we say, we hear John, we all know John 15 and we hear this scripture and we think this is about remaining in Christ and His Word in us. And it is. But it actually builds to a high point twice in the text. And I read them both. The first high point is verse 7 and 8 where he says, Ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. And then it repeats again in 16 at the end where he says, If you ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. And I think sometimes we read a text like that and we go, well, God speaks the truth. He gave me these instructions, and so I'll do it. I'll ask something in His name. You know, His Word's in me. I'm being guided by His Word. We know that's the condition you've got to ask according to His will. And so so we ask. We get kind of get underneath that, that thing, like that set of forks, and we push, and it doesn't move. And we try again. Maybe we try again, and it doesn't move. And so we go, Hi. Couldn't have meant exactly what I thought it meant. Must be a mistake here. He can't he can't have meant for me to he can't have meant ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Like there's got to be some condition, some way out of this. I it doesn't quite register. The word ask can be translated these ways. Ask, crave, desire, call for, beg. Ask, crave, call for, desire, Beg. Every word that it can be translated as other than the word ask has within it a strong sense of longing, unfulfilled longing, yearning for something, even to the point of begging. And when I first saw that, I said, that doesn't, that doesn't add up for me. Why would God, who is a father to us, who loves us as His children, who longs to take care of us, why would He want us to ask this way? Why would He give us a word that has within it such a sense of yearning and unfulfilled desire, even to the point of begging? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And so I began to press in and to pray about it. And this is what I felt like the Lord showed or revealed. That it's in the asking with deep yearning with deep desire that 
he brings transformation, that he, he draws us into relationship with him in such a way as to transform us into his image. Remember, this is about growing up into Christ. Let me, let me, exp- let me give you a picture to explain this. This might sound a little abstract right now. When, when somebody hurts you, when somebody offends you, when somebody betrays you, when somebody steals something from you, and you need to forgive them, and you want to forgive them, because you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you know it's the right thing to do, you can go to God in prayer in a few different ways. You can go and you can say, Lord, I want to forgive them and it's your will and so I choose to forgive them. And you, you have, at a certain level, cognitively forgiven them. And then you see them again. And you recognize, well, I forgave him at one level, but I sure didn't forgive him at another level. I want to throttle him. I don't actually want what's best for him. I want revenge. Or, I do not want to see her thrive. She hurt me so bad. And you know that forgiveness, true forgiveness, is releasing all judgment to God. It is, it is, it is the ability to do as Jesus Christ did on the cross, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a releasing. It is even a desire to bless a person. And so then you realize, oh God, if I'm honest with myself, I haven't really forgiven at a real deep heart level. And I don't even want to, but I want to want to. But I can't on my own. God, I need your help. And there begins this this journey, this prayer pattern in which you begin to engage with God, asking for help to forgive somebody really from the heart. And then you realize, as you engage with God on this relational journey called prayer, that, again, you can't do it unless He imparts something to you. And so there, there, are, there arises within you this level of, desperation of yearning of need God I can't do this I don't have the strength I don't have it in my heart I don't have the I don't not have your nature I know you, theologically you've given it to me in Christ but now I need you to grow it in me I need you to grow it up I don't have it within me but I want to I want to bless I want, and, and what this does is it brings you face to face with Jesus Christ. And you look at him and you go, you are incredible. The whole world is rebelling against you. And you come and you offer yourself and you stare at his nature. And you meditate and you contemplate and you marvel and you worship and you say, Lord, make me like you. Lord, transform me. Lord, give me your heart. And slowly on slowly, it starts to happen. Sometimes there's quick bursts within it, but it's a journey. It's a relational journey in which when you engage with Him over time from a place of need and longing in which your longings align with His longings, your heart joins to His heart, your will surrenders to His will, not mine, but yours be done. He changes you. 
this making sense? This is a kind of praying that wrestles with God. Okay? This is Jacob wrestling with God. Bless me. Bless me. And it marks us. And it changes us. This is a holding on to God and onto His promises. This is a taking Him at His word. Okay? I think about first, second Peter 1, where Peter is writing to the church and he says, you know what? God has given you absolutely everything that you need for life and godliness. And he's given them to you through his very great and precious promises. And he says, through those very great and precious promises, you can act, you participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world. Hear that again. Through his very great and precious promises, you participate in the divine nature. You become like God. How does that happen? How do you, how through these very great and precious promises do you participate? By faith. By faith that, that, that doesn't just cognitively pray a prayer and move on, but by faith that grabs hold of God and says, this is your promise. This is your will. This is what you've revealed in your word. I'm not letting go. Not because you need to be convinced. You don't. But because in the asking, in the craving, in the desiring, in the even begging... I'm changed. I'm changed. This is how God wants to work out His will on the earth, His kingdom to come on the earth. Why does He do this? Because He is interested in relationship. You think about this. Sovereign God could snap His fingers could speak the word and change anything, anywhere, at any time. But it's not what he's decreed. It's not what he's revealed. He said his, he wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done as we pray. But too many of us have had experiences of trying to get underneath something and move it, and it hasn't moved And that shaped us to where we think, well, He must not want me to move things. I must not be called to move things. And we're being shaped, not by God's design, not by His intention, not by what He's revealed, but by incomplete experiences. When Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, this is what he said immediately after. Ask, if my word remains in you and you and me, ask anything and it will be given to you. Immediately after, he said, this is to my Father's glory 
that you bear much fruit. This is how it will be known that you are my disciples. Remember that a disciple is called to become like the rabbi and that when they're called, the rabbi is saying, you can become an exact replica, an imitation of me. So Jesus is saying, this is how the world will know that you are my disciple, that you bear fruit through prayer for the kingdom of God. The disciples didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to preach. They didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to heal. They didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to drive out demons. The only thing the scripture says they asked is, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they saw something in him in terms of relationship with God that was born out of trust, that was lived out over time, that brought a fruitfulness in life and ministry. They saw that connection. And they knew that it was out of that place of faith and of prayer that Jesus' fruitfulness came. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We are designed by God to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And it comes as we take Him at His word and we say, I will pray your will. Let me give you one example, an example that's happened, and then spell out what that could look like for us, okay? So one of my my mentors, uh, Pastor Doug McMurray, he's a retired Presbyterian pastor and a church historian. He co-wrote a book with Brad Long called Prayer That Shapes the Future. And he tells a story in that book about when he first began to learn about intercessory prayer and how God works through it. And he said, Dick Sims, my mentor, back in 1983, began challenging my wife and I to get up at 5 a.m. for two hours every morning and to come to a monthly prayer group in which we'd pray for the whole state of Oregon that we were living in for revival. And as we gathered monthly, he said uh, that we need to ask the Lord to show us how to pray for the state, what are the spiritual strongholds in the state that we need to pray against. And the first thing the Lord showed him was a cult by the name of Rajneesh that was claiming to be a higher form of Christianity that had greater revelation. So they said they were Christians, but they had greater revelation. And they were getting great success, TV interviews, wooing all kinds of people in, millions of dollars, and this group started to pray against them. And and they said they felt specifically led to pray that the Lord would sow confusion and disunity among their leadership that it would be revealed to the world. The deceit that was underneath it. So they prayed, and they prayed, and they pushed, and they prayed, and they didn't experience anything. And they prayed, and they kept praying, and they prayed for a year. And then Doug shares, on the day that Carla and I were moving out of the state, because God called us to Richmond, Virginia, on the news came the broadcast that the leadership of the cult had had massive disunity. One of them had embezzled millions of dollars and fled. The whole community was in disarray. It ended up getting taken over by the FBI, came in, um, prosecuted, emptied it out, and young life took over the camp. That happened 
Because some men and some women took seriously God's call to say, you've called us a royal priesthood. You've given us renewed authority. You've delegated it to us. And we will pray for your will to be done and your kingdom to come. And we will ask you, what do you, what is, what is obstructing your will? What do you want to remove? What do you want to bring in? And we will ask with faith until you do it. Now, Doug didn't have a lot of faith at that time, but Dick did and was mentoring him in it. Okay? What happens when a parent or a grandparent says, the word of God says in Psalm 112 that the children of the righteous will be mighty in the land. And they say, God, your word says, and I know it's not your will for my child not only to be straying from the faith, but you want my child to be mighty in your service. I am going to stand. I'm going to stand believing. I'm going to pray with faith. I'm going to join others to me and pull them in. My child is not just coming back to the faith. She is going to be mighty in your service. How many are not back in the kingdom because we've grown weary in prayer? How many are not in the rules the Lord would have for them because we're not praying? The kingdom of God comes when we, not just as a church, but as individuals say, it's me. It's not you, it's not the next person, it's not the church, it's me. It's my responsibility. God's given me a sphere that he's called me to govern. And the first place is in here. Your will be done, your kingdom come in here. Here, here, here. May I bring you glory on the earth. Now, the realm of my family and my friends and the realm, the sphere of my workplace. You are the royal priesthood wherever he's put you. You are the one he's called to prayer. Not somebody else. We are the ones he's called to this neighborhood. If we don't stand and say, God... Bring revival. Nobody will do it. Now the kind of praying that begs, strives, not strives, it's not the right word, asks with strong desire, only comes from the heart that's surrendered to the Lord and that longs for his kingdom above all else. This is where I've felt most challenged in this journey. I only pray for what I really long for. My prayer shows me two things. It shows me what I long for, and it shows me what I believe. 
So we're hearing the Lord say to us, I want to work through you. And as you engage with me, you will become like me. It, it, it's this, this process of when we... So I pray for what I long for. If I long, if my longing is for that word of scripture where Jesus says, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. If I long for that, if that's the deepest desire of my heart, I want the world to know Jesus. I want God's goodness to cover the earth. I will get changed and transformed by that goodness and by that glory. I can't quite tell where to land this. I can't quite tell how it's connecting. I don't know if I've given enough good examples. I just know that God has met me in the place of studying his word. And um, that if, 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 if we let him grab a hold of our hearts, our minds, our wills, and use us, that he will do incredible things through us. And it has, it has, again, nothing to do with having to convince him, but, and everything to do with joining ourselves to him, surrendering to him, giving ourselves in his service in the work of prayer to bear glory on the earth for the kingdom of God. Pastor Gina, I told you I didn't quite know how to land. Would you help me out here? (laughs) So friends, this is what I'm sensing um, through this message. Is that some of us, if you remember his opening illustration, his boss sent him to go get those forks. And if he would have stayed there just struggling all day and not gone back to his boss and said, I can't get them, like that, that wouldn't have ever, like it would have just been an incomplete experience right there. And maybe for some of us, we've prayed and we felt like we went to get the forks, we went to ask for something, and we never kind of went back to pursue the conversation with our boss, the Lord. And so I feel like maybe some of us are just discouraged because we didn't even know to go that we could go back and ask him. I feel like some of us have been shaped and formed by incomplete experiences, that we've prayed a little bit, but we gave up. And then we've let that shape that we haven't persisted in prayer. We didn't know that we could beg about it. Um, and, and again, it's invitation, God's good invitation to us that we can come back and we can continue to ask and ask him to help us keep praying for that if we need to forgive somebody release something ask for more self-control ask for peace whatever it is that we need um, that we would not be shaped and formed by an incomplete experience but that because we know that he's a good loving God that loves to be close to us we can abide in him right and then I think the third is just it feels like that the Lord is calling us and inviting us 
to recommit ourselves that we're renewing our commitment to pray and not give up until we get those answers that we know align with him. For ourselves, whatever part needs his kingdom to come and be more fully shaped in us, for our family, our friends, our workplaces, our neighborhood, 